Now today we are concluding our message series called Worldview. And in this series, uh, we've been finding out real fast, no matter what you believe, that we all have a worldview. Now, what's a worldview? Well, here's a good definition of a worldview. A worldview is a person's perspective, viewpoint, or opinion about how the world works, each person's place in it, and how people should live in it. And so in the first week of this series, uh, we discovered that uh, often we kind of gather our worldview by kind of taking different things that we grew up with or different beliefs and putting them together. And that creates a lot of confusion and division within our lives. And then uh, the next message, we found out that Christ has a view of the world. And as Christ followers, sometimes that does not match up. In fact, uh, many of those who are not Christ followers, who do not believe in God, often hear uh, Christ followers say things, and then they get really discouraged because our actions don't quite align with what we say. And so in this series, it's been so important, we've been wrestling with what is Jesus's world view? And so it's been very beneficial uh, to those who are Christ followers and wrestling with that. And it's also been very beneficial to those who are checking out God as well. Uh, we've had so many people put their faith and trust in Jesus because they've seen through this series that God is for them. Now today, uh, we are going to conclude this series and we're going to talk about a subject uh, that is probably the toughest subject that we all face, okay? And this subject does not discriminate. Uh, no one gets a free pass with this subject at all. And it is very personal to all of us. And it is the subject of life and death, okay? Now, um, up front, death is never easy. And it is always very personal. About this time last year, uh, my mother um, developed COVID and uh, passed away. And um, when she got COVID, uh, I called her up and I said, hey, please do me a favor. I know this is like the third strain and um, you know you finally got it, um, but it's been kind of impacting people's lungs. Would you, if you need to go to the doctor right away as soon as you start to sense that, or would you go to the hospital? And uh, being a retired RN nurse, she said, sure. And many of you know, yeah, you're giggling, uh, that if you're in the medical field, that means no way, okay? And sure enough, it did. She was that type of nurse. Like if we skinned our knees, she's like, get up and you know spit on it and you're off and you're going that's the type of woman that she was so uh, she's like just get back in the game all right and she didn't say that she just pushed you out anyways so um sure enough at the end of the week she checked herself into the er which is not a good sign and uh and so she's with my father and um Soon it was determined that she needed to be admitted to the hospital. And then after a few days, she's like, you know, the worst patient ever, you know, like all nurses. Sorry if you're a nurse, but you are. But anyways, um, she wouldn't keep her oxygen mask on her and she was claustrophobic with that. And so soon they admit her to ICU. And so um, when that happened, I flew up to Michigan. And when I got there, uh, I mean, the mask that was on her face was huge. It covered her eyes and everything. And she's like blind as a bat, so she couldn't wear glasses or anything like that. She has COVID. Even though I had already had COVID, no one's allowed into the room except for the nurses and everything. And uh, so it was real tough. When I got there, I was like, well, man, I'll make a sign. Maybe they'll can like let her see her glasses somehow and see the sign. And, uh, and I said, maybe they could like take her 
phone in the room and we could like at least her hear my voice, you know? And so that happened, uh, but only for a couple minutes because she needed to be on the oxygen mask. And uh, soon the doctor came to us and said, hey, look, like she needs to uh, be put on a ventilator. Um, if she's gonna pull through, this would be a good thing to do. And so um, he said, but expect that she's gonna have some ups and downs when that happens. So within a day, they put her on a ventilator and um, she has, sure enough, the next day, ups and downs. And then the next day, it got a little bit better. And the next day, it got a little bit better. And the next day, it was down. And the next day, down. And we went to visit her that afternoon and we're home later that evening and we get a phone call and they're like, you need to come up here. And um, when we get up there, the doctor comes out of ICU to greet greet us. And he's like, hey, um, I don't know how, but we were able to stabilize her. And, um, and she made it. But um, most likely she's going to crash again. And um, I just want to encourage you to say your goodbyes. And, you know, I mean, this is like within two weeks, you know, here I'm talking to my mom and here she's crashing. So um, we go in there. My dad my siblings, and we start to say our goodbyes. And as we're saying our goodbyes, she starts to crash. And she didn't recover in that moment. And so death is never easy, okay? It is always very personal, no matter what you believe. And believe it or not, the reason we ache so much is because death is not easy for God. It is very personal to him. And so to conclude this series, I couldn't think of a better subject to do this than to check out God's viewpoint of life and death. And today we're going to look through Jesus's eyes of life and death. And in and through his experiences, it just might help us right here in this life. And so if you would, would you turn with me in scripture to John chapter 11, verse 25, um, to unpack this very personal subject together. Um, if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to grab one from the back as our free gift to you. And then also I want to encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app. That's free. It's an amazing tool that has scripture uh, for you to be able to read scripture on it and many different types of translations and then the tools to understand it as well. Um, but I'll give you a moment to turn to John chapter 11, verse 25. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to switch to different passages and everything. But if you want to jump around, that's great. If you just want to check it out, on the screens will be there, but go ahead and turn to John chapter 11, verse 25. Now, before we dive in uh, today, we're going to check out four very personal interactions that Jesus had with life and death. Okay. Now, in these interactions, there were a lot of people who watch and saw these things um, with their very own eyes. Okay. 
Now, remember in this series, um, we checked out that Jesus claimed to be the truth, okay? Uh, Jesus didn't say that he just didn't come to tell us about the truth, but that he embodied the truth. And he's saying that he is the truth. He is saying that he has come to earth um, for all to see exactly who God is and to give us the truth. So if Jesus is the truth, then his words His actions, the way he treats people should align with truth. The things that we feel in our hearts and our lives, his words should match his actions every single time when he's claiming to be the truth. So in this very first personal interaction concerning life and death, There are three siblings. There's Lazarus, who's the brother, Mary and Martha, and they are very close to Jesus. Uh, In fact, most likely these siblings support Jesus maybe potentially throughout his three years of ministry. We know they opened up his home, gave him food, potentially even finances and everything. And so it's obvious that they have a very deep relationship because the sisters are comfortable enough at the end of Jesus's three years of ministry when uh, he is at the height of his popularity to send a personal message, a personal message to Jesus requesting him to drop everything and to come and help their brother who is deathly uh, ill. But unfortunately, Jesus doesn't arrive and Lazarus dies. His very close friend that we learned dies. And like Jesus didn't show up like the day after he dies. He shows up and Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's in the grave. They've already had the funeral when Jesus arrives. So here's Martha who is very upset and questioning Jesus on why he had never come sooner. And Jesus responds with this very powerful statement, okay? And it kind of kind of through her for a moment, but then she would come to understand the truth behind this statement because she would experience it herself. She would be a witness to it as well. So starting in verse 25, Jesus said to her, and let's read this together. I am, okay, nobody's reading this with me. Let's do this, all right? I am the resurrection and the life. Good job. All right, I'll take, a, take the rest. All right, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Those are strong statements. Do you believe this, Martha? I think basically Jesus is saying to Martha, hey, you know, I know you're hurting. I know you, your brother, your sister are super tight. And this is so personal, so personal to you. And it's personal to me. But don't forget who I am. Don't cycle down in your doubts. I know you've been living there for four days, but I'm here. And I think that caught her attention and started to kind of cycle her up. Because she responds in verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. 
Skipping to verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus does something next that I don't think uh, they or we would expect, but he did it because death breaks his heart as well. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. This was very personal to Jesus. Death is very personal to God. Jesus sees Mary. Jesus sees these people who are hurting. Jesus is so burdened with what sin and death have done in this world that he weeps. Did you know when you hurt that he hurts? Do you know when your heart is broken that his heart breaks as well? In scripture, if you are helpless, downcast, and put aside, he is there with you, he says. In scripture, we learn that Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he came and he knows this life and what we experience. In Hebrews 4.14, the writer said this of Jesus for us. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven after being here, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy, his kindness, his, his comfort, his care. We will find grace. We will find someone we can cry out to, that we can shout out to, who can hear our anger in moments of death when we need it most. You see, death was never God's intention, okay? Death comes from sin. And we learn this from the apostle Paul who knew this so well. In Romans 5, 12, he says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all people because all sinned. God knows sin is devastating, okay? It causes death and it costs us everything. And so in this very, very, very personal interaction with Lazarus, we see that death breaks his heart as well. It hurts him. But he doesn't stop there, okay? He never just stopped with words. Instead, he always matched his talk with actions. So in this moment, Jesus does something that we will never forget, that the people who were there who witnessed this never forgot. He has the stone moved away from the grave. And remember, Lazarus has been dead and in this grave for four days, okay? 
And in verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out of the grave and the people couldn't believe it. And here's Lazarus and it's kind of funny. Like everybody's so amazed that here's this guy in his burial clothing. He's like, guys, I'm gonna suffocate, okay? Like get me out, okay? Read scripture, that's what it says. It was amazing. Who has power over life and death? Who has power that understands when our heart is breaking that his heart breaks as well? Isn't that what we would want in someone who is claiming to be God? And the news of this spread like wildfire. This was his last major miracle before he went to the cross. And people were in an uproar. They were like, he's gotta be the Messiah. It's gotta be God. And Lazarus and his sisters, I bet they had so many passerbys, you know, who came and said, I gotta see this with my own eyes. And I bet they got never tired of telling the story of what happened to them. It never got old for the rest of their lives when someone came by and they told the story again. Let's continue. Let's continue to our second personal interaction. On the night before Jesus died, Jesus took some of his disciples to pray after their last supper. So picking up in Mark 14, I'm just gonna highlight some words. You don't have to read them out loud because I want you to pick up on these words that are in bold, okay? So he took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. He cried out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Let's read that together, that last thing. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is overwhelmed? I mean, he's so overwhelmed. But isn't he God? He is. But isn't he fully human? He is, okay? Wouldn't we be overwhelmed when we face death? And why is this so tough for Jesus? Well, when my dad was a guest speaker just a few weeks ago, he made this super clear. See, Jesus was not created. He was part of the Trinity. And he always lived as the Son throughout all of eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit as one, okay? Jesus had never been separated from God's love that he had enjoyed for all of eternity, and so Jesus was going to know firsthand what it was going to be like to live in despair and rejection and loneliness and suffering and pain and death and separation from God that no one has ever experienced. No one. And so in this second interaction, we learn that Jesus made a choice to do this. A choice to do this for us, to give completely of his life. It would cost him his life. 
So let's fast forward now to Jesus being on the cross and probably hundreds, if not thousands, are witnessing Jesus dying on the cross, this brutal death, okay? And Jesus, before he dies, has this third personal interaction uh, with two criminals who are also being crucified as well. And this interaction speaks so much to Jesus's view of life and death that we have to check it out. And so skip over to Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Picking up, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, here are two criminals who are dying beside Jesus. One criminal starts to scoff and mock Jesus because he's going along with the crowd who are like, if you're God, come off that cross, show us something, show us who you are. And Jesus the other criminal admits something that is so personal and so vulnerable and astounding when you think about it. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. You know, isn't it interesting that this criminal brings up something that we are so aware of deep down in our hearts? You know, when someone commits a crime against us, we just know that there needs to be something to make that right. There needs to be some kind of justice. There needs to be uh, something, uh, a penalty uh, that has to be paid for, you know, to be made right um, at that point. Well, that's what sin does. It costs something. It costs us our lives, okay? It's a debt that needs to be paid. But instead of paying for it with our lives, Jesus comes and says, I will pay for it. I will come here. I came here. I'll change for you. I will serve you by sacrificing my life and exchanging my life for your life. There's no other God in all of history who has ever done that. Because Jesus knew if you were to have life after death, that someone has to pay for it. And he said, I'll do it. I'll exchange my life for the sake of everyone. Everyone, even though I'm innocent. And then Jesus said something at the end that I don't know if you caught this, okay? Verse 42. The second criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So is heaven a real place? It is, okay? Is Jesus saying that life goes beyond death? He does, okay? He talked regularly about life after death on a regular basis. Did Jesus also talk about hell? He did. He said, he defined it as a real place, and one scholar, when he was studying scriptures, um, kept track of this, super smart guy. And uh, he said, you know, Jesus taught and gave more clarity about hell than the entire Old Testament put together, okay? 
And so now we kind of get bent out of shape when we mention that word hell. But yet, um, you know, yesterday as you were watching your football games, you heard many people saying go to, and I won't say it, but you heard it, okay? You were watching the games. You might come out of your mouth. I'm not gonna put it up on the screens and say, let's read this together. And don't worry, I'm gonna refrain from you uh, turning to your neighbor and say that as well. Uh, That would not be good. I'd get some emails and Trent would never let me speak again. So anyways... But think about it. Most of us, we get upset because we think that God sends people to hell, you know? But whenever Jesus spoke about hell, it was in regards to the person like this first criminal. This first criminal mocked Jesus, scoffed at him. And he did it at his end of his life. But most likely he had done that all of his life. Most likely, he had said to God, you know what, I'm going to create the trajectory of my life. I'm going to do it my way instead of God's way. Doesn't that boil down to the issue that we all face? Don't we all want to do it our way instead of God's way? And so Jesus taught that a person who chooses that type of rejection now will be granted that type of rejection into eternity. That's the desire of their heart. But when we acknowledge who Jesus is as the other criminal, in an instant, the trajectory of our lives will be changed forever because that's what God wants for everyone. He does not hold out on anyone. You can't do anything that you can't come to him and call upon his name that he won't forgive. That's who he is. Now, when he says that, that's one thing. But then when he does something to back that up, that's what we have to look at. And so in this fourth personal interaction with Jesus about life and death, we got to see some action. We got to see something to believe that. And he does. So let's pick up in Matthew 28, verse 5. Then the angel spoke to the women Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus come back to life from the dead. They saw him die. They saw him come back to life from the dead. People could go and talk to Lazarus and he would tell them about his personal interaction with Jesus and how Jesus wept because he loved him so much. People could go and talk to the disciples who were there the night before he died and saw how much agony and he was shouting out in despair and he was crying and he sweated blood because he did, he knew how much pain and separation he would go for us. People could talk to 
the crowds who saw him interacting with these criminals and see how he treated both of them and how he treated the second who said, Jesus, I know who you are. And Jesus said to him, you'll be in paradise today in an instant. People could go and talk to these women who were the first, the first to witness Jesus coming back to life from the dead and so many others. There are so many people who saw Jesus, who had a personal interaction with Jesus in life and death because it's personal. He's personal. Now this is where it gets personal for me, okay? Because death and life, it's always personal. When my mom was a little girl, she came to see Jesus for who he is. And she made him her Lord and Savior. And at a very young age, not long after that, she committed to saying, I'm going to live the rest of my life for Jesus because of what he's done for me. And I'm going to tell everyone about him. Now, on the day of my mom's viewing and also on the day of the funeral, I heard so many stories, so many stories. I mean, we grew up in Orlando for 18 years. Then they went to Michigan. We'd always gone back and forth because I got tons of relatives in Michigan and everything. And then I lived there for a little bit. I mean, she was everywhere, okay? And she just did her thing, okay? And here's a really cool story. I mean, I heard tons of them. And this was just, it just blew me away. All of a sudden, I'm at the viewing and this older black lady comes in and I introduce myself to her and she goes, oh, well, I'm your older sister. And I said, oh, okay. Um, yeah, just being honest, okay? So it kind of stunned me for a second. And then she said, yeah, your mom was my big sister in the 70s. And I was like, what? Now, I knew that my mom and dad had a hard time having children and that they were foster parents, but what I did not know was that my mom was part of the Big Brother, Big Sister program uh, on the west side of Detroit. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my goodness. And she went on, and she said, yeah, your mom led me to Christ. She taught me the books of the Bible. She taught me how to read scripture. And later on, I led my brothers to Christ. And here today is my daughter, who's an adult at this point. And she is a nurse because your mother was so amazing. I said, my daughter, if I ever have a daughter, she should be a nurse. Now, when I heard that, I'm starting to like well up, okay? And I said, because I'm trying to put two plus two together still, okay? And my parents are living like south of Detroit by 30 minutes. And at that time frame, they were west of Detroit. And I said, hey, how did you hear about my mom's passing? And she said, we had just moved to the area. And I was reading the paper and I saw your mother's obituary and I thought I should come. In that moment, I just hugged her and I said, you're my sister. You're my sister. That's who my mom was. She knew no stranger. She always took people under her wings. I saw that for 45 years of my life. She led hundreds of people to Christ. 
She never even said it. And I even heard more stories. I'm like, oh my goodness, who is this lady? I thought I knew her, you know? <laughs> now, a special moment happened for me that just, uh, I just knew God had planned it, you know? So the very next morning after my mom passes, um, <clears throat> one of my aunts posts this picture. And I thought that she had uh, gotten my cousin, who's like this art professor, to uh, do it because it looks like a younger version of my mom. And it just made me smile because I knew exactly, like that's exactly what my mom did when she came face to face with Jesus because she was like no holds bar, okay? So I wanna show you this picture. This is what was posted uh, that morning after my mom passed. And so here's the picture over there. Here's my mom and me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's like a young version of my mom. Are you kidding me? And that's exactly what she would have done. That's who she was and is. And it was beautiful. And that's what he wants to do for all of us. There is life after death. Jesus came here. And I want you to know that. You don't have to fear death. Because he defeated death with death. So today, this is how we're going to close. I thought it was awesome. When Trent told me we're going to do communion at the end of the series, I thought, perfect. Okay? And that's just to recognize what God has done, how he has, uh, what he did on the cross for us. Now, if you've been during this series uh, living as a Christ follower that's like, you know what? My worldview is not exactly like Jesus's. Then in a moment, I'm gonna pray before we do communion. And in that prayer, I want you to commit. I want you to commit to saying, you know what, God? I want my words to match with my behaviors. And I wanna live for you. Just like my mom. I'm committing my life to help others. That's what this is about. That's what you just did with 3G Sunday. That's why it felt so good. We're for everyone. That's God's heartbeat. That's why it resonates within all of us, even if you don't believe in him. It resonates. Then, if you are not a Christ follower, in a moment when I pray, like you're connecting the dots. You're having a Martha moment where it's like, oh, I've been doubting and doubting. I get it. This is personal. Jesus, I needed to hear that today. And I'm ready to make you my savior. Amen. And so during this prayer, I want you to do that. You have an opportunity to do that. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you and you are so good. You're so great. You're amazing. You've got us. Even when we doubt, you got us. So Lord, I know that there are some Christ followers here who are looking at their words and looking at their actions and they don't align. And so today, Lord, may they ask for forgiveness right now. And would they say to you, Lord, I want my life to be like yours. I commit my life to your will, not my will, but yours be done. Teach me. So on the spiritual growth challenge, there's three resources I've put there to help you with your worldview. 
And so would you grab that spiritual growth challenge and would you get those resources and study and learn what Jesus' view of the world is? For some of you, it just finally made sense. It's personal because God is personal. And so today you have the opportunity to make him your savior, your Lord. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I know that that's what you want to do today? No one looking around. Uh, If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and savior, would you just raise your hand right now? Awesome, awesome. Keep them high so I can see. Awesome, thank you. Great, thank you. Awesome. If that's you, then just talk to him like this. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for dying on the cross. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you be my Lord and my Savior? Would you be my God? Thank you. And if you prayed that, I've got some resources that I would love to give you after communion. And so come on up here to the front because I saw several of you who just prayed to receive Christ. So way to go on that. But let me finish out in prayer and then we're gonna move to communion. And if you're checking out this whole God thing, I've got even a resource for you. If you want more to work through, then we can do that as well. So Father, thank you for today. There were several people who just entered into a relationship with you and made it personal. So thank you so much for that. That was awesome. And so Father, help us to go forward and live for you with our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me switch gears into communion to close us out, okay? If you're watching online, you can go ahead and get uh, some juice, some orange juice, whatever you got in the fridge, uh, some bread or something like that to be able to participate with us. Um, But in communion, again, it is a time where we remember what Jesus did for us, that he came and he died on the cross for us, that he exchanged his life for us and paid our debt. And so it's also a time to kind of check where we're at with him. You know, how are we doing in our walk? And so just ask him, God, is there something that's not right within my heart? And if he reveals something, would you say, God, forgive me for that and help me to live for you? That's how we continue to stay on course with God. And so let me walk you through how we do communion here at Epic. Communion is open to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus. If you did that today, man, you are awesome and do that. All right, and so you're welcome to take communion with us. Now we've got six tables, four in the back, two up front here. And uh, the reason, again, we take communion is Jesus commanded it to do this on a regular basis. And this is where we find that he reminds us to do this uh, and his great love for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, on the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And that's what the bread represents. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And that's what the juice represents.
For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so again, as we, as I'm about to pray, I want to encourage you to talk to him, to thank him for what he's done. Thank him for this series. Thank him for becoming your savior today. And then also just check your heart as well. And then after uh, I pray, you'll be dismissed to do communion. You can continue to pray if you need to in your seats, or you can come and get the elements. And if you want to continue to pray, you can pray off to the side, but take the elements and then return to your seats. And Matt's going to close us uh, today. And so let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank you for today. And as we take communion together, we're coming into alignment with you. When our worldview is the same, and it's your worldview, we have a heart for people. We do things in the community. We love those who are broken. We reach out to those in tough places. We do things that we think, oh, I don't have time, but I need to do that. Lord, that's how you've designed us, to serve, because you served us by sacrificing your life for us. That's how much you love us. And so we're so grateful and thankful for you facing death in a real and personal way, but overcoming it by your death and by your resurrection. And so we give you praise and we give you honor and glory. Thank you for giving us life beyond death, but giving us life here to make a difference in this world now. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to take communion.